during our worship hour. If you have your Bible, you may want to turn to the book of Joshua, chapter 15. That's where we'll spend part of our time tonight. At least we'll begin our introduction of the lesson that we're studying from the book of Joshua, chapter number 18. As you know, if you've been with us on uh, Sunday nights, we've been studying through Joshua, but for the past several chapters, what we've been thinking about, we've started off basically our lesson every time over the past several weeks by thinking about the fact that that we're talking about the dividing and the, the taking of the dividing of the land. And so far in our studies of Joshua up to this point, we found that there have been five of the tribes that have received their their land, their property. Their boundaries have been set, and they are uh, given the land. We've got Reuben, we've got Gad, we've got Manasseh, we've got Ephraim, and we've got Judah, and all of those who have possessed the land. But that still leaves seven that have not received the allotment of land that they were promised by God. They had not possessed the possessions that God had promised for them. And so that's where we are here in chapter number 18 as we begin. And if you have your Bible and you want to read from that, then I hope that you'll do it. Uh, I do have it on the screen. We'll be looking tonight to begin with at the first five verses of the book of Joshua, chapter number 18. The Bible says, beginning in verse number 1, Then the whole congregation of the people of Israel assembled at Shiloh, and set up the tent of meeting there. Now, let's just stop right there for a moment. What they did was for the purpose that God had given them. They were, at that point, Jerusalem was not yet the city that, that they would use to, to have the temple. The temple would not be built and all of that until many, many years later. But Shiloh was the location at which the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, as it is mentioned here, that's where it would be for for quite some time. And so he tells us about that. But then look at that next sentence there in chapter 18, verse number 1. They set up the tent of meeting there. The land lay subdued before them. Now I'll come back to that in just a moment. Now, there remained among the people of Israel seven tribes whose inheritance had not yet been apportioned. Let's move on right there, Ben, if you'll get me where I can click. There we go. So Joshua said to the people of Israel, How long will you put off going to take possession of the land, which the Lord your God, the God of your fathers, has given you? Remember that question. Verse number 4, the Bible says, Provide three men from each tribe, and I will send them out, that they may set and go up and down the land. They shall write a description of it with a view to their inheritances, and then come to me. They shall divide it into seven portions. Judah shall continue in his territory on the south, and the house of Joseph shall continue in their territory of the north. The problem has already been laid out before us. Five have received their land. Seven of the tribes have not received their land. But as we notice there in verse number one, the Bible says the land lay subdued before them. If you look up the word that's translated subdued in the Hebrew, you'll find that that word means something like subjugated or conquered. They had already conquered the land. I mean, it was as well as conquered when God promised it to them anyway. He was with them. He would make sure that, 
that they would win the battle. He would make sure that they were able to take it. But the land had been subjugated. The land had been subdued. The land had been conquered before them. But in that very next verse, Joshua asks, he says, How long are you going to sit here? And I'm paraphrasing a little bit. We all understand we're in the country tonight. How long are you going to sit here and not go take the land? that God has given you. Are you going to stay around Shiloh? Are you going to stay here bunched up with the people that, uh, that are there? How long is it going to be before you move into your new home? How long is it going to be before you take possession of the things that are already yours? Now remember that. God had put, put the land before them. It was subjected. It was subdued. It had been conquered. And now they're just waiting to take the land Take possession of the land. And of course, as we looked at in the next couple of verses there, we understand what he says for them to do. They were to gather out some men. They were to get some surveyors, if you will. And they were to go out and write up the description of the land and divide it up into the different territories and have a written description of the land. Just like you would have on your, <coughs> on your deed for the property that you have, You've got a written description on there. And that's basically what Joshua is telling these people to do. Go do the survey. Come back to me and I will officially make it your property. I will officially give you those different sections of land. You know, the Bible speaks about in other places the possessions of the children of Israel, of Judah, as well. In the book of Obadiah, chapter 1, there's only one chapter there, but in verse number 17, after making a prophecy, he says these words, he says, But in Mount Zion there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy, and the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions, is the way the English Standard Version translates that. It was already their own possessions way back prior to that, but now even in the time of uh, captivity, when they would return, they would possess their own possessions. The Bible speaks about the possessions of those people. And yet here, their possessions had not yet been possessed. Now let's see if we can take that into the New Testament and think about some things that that will help us to understand a little bit more about it. How many of us remember the story of the prodigal son? You know, we find that in the book of Luke, and, and as we look at it, not, not only do we have the prodigal son who went off into the far country and sinned, but, but if you've heard that story much and studied it much, you understand that actually there were two prodigal sons in the whole thing. There was one who stayed at home, and, and he wasn't what he ought to be. And, and, and we've all heard lessons in regard to that, but... But do you remember what happened when the son, the, the younger son, when he uh, had gone away and spent everything and came to himself in the, in the pig pen and finally came home and his father ran and met him and he killed the fatted calf? Do you remember what happened with the elder brother? In, in chapter 15 of the book of Luke, beginning at verse 28, the Bible says, But he was angry. Uh, when he came and, and found that his father had, uh, had killed the fatted calf and they were celebrating the return of his brother, the Bible says he was angry and refused to go in. His father came and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command, 
Yet you never came to me, gave to me rather a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when his son, when this son of yours came and has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, that's the father, said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. Now you think about that for a moment. The older brother is complaining that the father never gave him a calf so that he could celebrate with his friends. But in reality, what the father answers is this, Son, the calf was yours to start with. You could have celebrated with your friends any time you wanted to. You could have had them over and killed the fatted calf any time you (coughs) chose to do that. Do you remember what is actually said at the beginning of the story? We think about the the younger son as he comes and, and he wants the possessions that his father is going to give him and he asks so that he can get away, get out from under the father. And the father does divide up his possessions, doesn't he? But how many times do we miss what is said there in chapter 15, verses 11 and 12? The man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And the Bible says the next phrase, And he divided his property between them. At the same time that the younger son received the property that his father gave him that he would go out and blow, he gave his other property to the older son. All these years, that older brother said later on when the younger son came back, all these years, Father, I have served you And you never made it possible for me to have my friends over and to have a barbecue for them. Son, it was yours to start with. It was already in your possession. It was already in your control. You could have had them any time you wanted them. The land was already given to the children of Israel with all of the blessings, with everything that was there, and yet they had not gone to possess it. Just as the elder brother, in the story of the prodigal son, just as he had not taken possession, if you will, of the blessings that his father was willing to give them, so it was with the people so long before. You know, we might look at them and we might say, well, well, you know, they're off the rocker. They really and truly ought to, ought to have been enjoying the things that God had given them. They really had, should have gone and possessed the possessions that, that were really and truly theirs already. How many of us would agree that, that they were foolish for not already have, having received and taken possession of these things? How many of us look at the, at the older brother now and say, Dude, you're, you, hey, you missed out on it. Are there things, though, in our own lives, in our Christian lives, that we have been given, possessions that we have, 
within our control, within our power, that we have not as yet possessed. Now, I'm sure that there are a number of things that we could talk about tonight. I have five written down that that we'll spend just a few minutes talking about, some of them more than others, but five things that, that we as Christians have within our possession that we sometimes refuse to possess. What are they? <coughs> Number one tonight, I guess if I'd been flipping through there, y'all could have kept up with me. Are we missing out on the blessing that comes through prayer? The blessings that come through prayer. Look, if you will, the book of James chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. I want you to think about it from the perspective of the people that are being written about. Okay? Then the Bible says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Now remember, James is writing to Christians. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you. You desire, and you do not have, so you murder. Now, he's probably not saying they literally went out and shot somebody or stabbed them with a knife, but by their attitudes and their actions, the hatred that they had for one another was, was truly coming out. And John would write about if we if we don't love a brother, we in, in essence have murdered that brother as well. He says, "You design, you don't have, so you murder, and you covet, and you cannot obtain, so you fight, and you quarrel." Now let's just stop right there and think about what verses one and two have told us. Here are some miserable. Here are some miserable Christians. They can't get along with one another. Their day, their day is just blown because, you know, they, they look at somebody else and, and they really don't like what's going on in their life. Or, you know, we can come up with all kinds of things. What kind of way is that to live? How, how, how is that a peaceful life? How, how is that that anybody could get up in the morning and look forward to that day and not go to bed at night and look back over the day with all of the, 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 the bad things and thoughts and, and all those kinds of things? How could it not affect them when they put their head on the pillow at night and tried to go to sleep? Here's some miserable Christians. They're having all of these, these, these fusses and fights and arguments and all of the kinds of things. But what is the cause of it? What's the reason behind it? He says you desire, you don't have, so you murder, you covet, and you uh, cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. And then he goes on and speaks about, he says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. These people are staying miserable. Because they have the wrong heart, we understand that, they're asking amiss. 
but also because they're failing to ask at all. He lays that out as clearly as possible. They did not pray. They didn't pray for their brother, their sister that they, that they were having problems with. They didn't pray that they could work these things out with one another. They didn't pray that they could have peace in their life. They didn't pray that, that, that everything would, would work out and, and they could have harmony within the brotherhood, within their, their brothers and sisters that they were going to church with. They hadn't prayed about that stuff. And when they did, they, they weren't really responding in a way that they should. They, they didn't think God would answer the prayer. There are other places in the book of James where he speaks about asking in faith and so forth. They had a problem with their prayer life. They didn't receive the possessions of peace and prosperity and the things that God wanted them to have because they were missing out on prayer. Now compare that with two folks in the Old Testament. A lady by the name of Hannah and another guy by the name of Hezekiah. When both of those folks prayed, what did they get? An answer to the prayer. They received and possessed the the blessings that God wanted them to have. You see, we can look at the children of Israel and say, well, man, y'all should have gone on up there and moved in. You should have possessed the possessions, but we do the same thing, not with physical property or land of that nature, but with other possessions that God has placed within our power. You know, it's even said in the book of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may... Uh, receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Our prayer life needs to be exercised so that we can receive and have and possess the possessions that truly belong to us as Christians. What about this one? The blessings of knowledge that come through study. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17 with me tonight. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Paul writes and says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of your minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to every to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. Why was it that the Gentiles were living as they, as they were living and in the sinful life and all of the misery that comes with it? Well, they'd hardened their heart and refused to listen to truth. They'd hardened their heart and refused to gain knowledge from God. And thus they were living in the, in the old sinful ways. Folks, the life of sin is a hard way, a hard life to live. You know, all you've got to do is look at folks who are, are living a sinful life. And on the outside, you know, it, it sort of seems like they may have 
they may have it better than us when we're trying to live as Christians, but, but, but just probe down into the family life a little bit and see the problems that are going on in family lives. And probe down and, and see if they're truly happy in the way that they're living. And I don't have to stand here tonight and, and preach a lot in regard to that. You, you know it's true. But these folks, the Gentiles even, they were living that way. Paul said of Christians, hey, you know you've got to quit walking like the Gentiles do because that's not the way you learned it. We remain ignorant of God's Word. We remain ignorant of God's ways, and thus we suffer for it. You see, there are blessings that come through the knowledge of a study of God's Word. In John chapter 8, verse 31, going all the way through verse 32, the Bible says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in Him, If you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Free from what? Well, free from the guilt of sin that, that was within their life, but, but free from a lot of these other things that, that the world faces and suffers for. Now, I'm not saying tonight that a Christian will never have a problem, not even if we possess prayer and we possess a true study and knowledge of the Word of God, but, but I'm saying that it... it, it it's a whole lot different. It's a different kind of bad. Because we have something to look forward to. We have hope that the rest of the world doesn't have. There are blessings that come through a knowledge, and that knowledge comes through a study of God's Word. You know, there are some things even within the church that, that ignorance causes. It causes the church to forget the fundamentals of the faith. But as is said in the book of Psalm 11 and verse 3, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? If we fail to remember the very foundation principles of God's Word, the church, the congregation even, perhaps where we are, it will be destroyed. It also causes, ignorance causes the church to be spiritually immature. And according to the book of Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14, the writer of the book of Hebrews says it ought not be that way. We need to be growing in, in truth. He spoke about their need for milk and not solid food. Their, their need for someone to, to continue to, to help them. But they needed that solid food so they would have the spiritual discernment that was trained by a constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Ignorance causes the church to look like the world. It causes false doctrine to invade the church. It causes the church to be ineffective in its work, in its evangelism, in its outreach to others. We could spend the entire night tonight talking about the blessings that come through a knowledge of the Word of God. What about the happiness that comes through service? Some folks have, have mixed it up. They think that word service is pronounced serve us. Serve us. Serve me, even. 
Serve me. You, you, you must be serving me. If, if you're not doing the things that, that meet my needs, folks, why don't we try meeting the needs of other folks in our life? I guarantee you it'll make a difference in your life. You know, a long time ago, Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. One of the most miserable persons on the face of the earth is a person who thinks that, that, that the best part of life is getting. It is more blessed to give than to receive, even when it comes to service. What about this one tonight? The peace that comes through commitment. Peace that comes through commitment. What do you mean by that? Well, simply this. Sometimes there are folks who have just enough religion to make them miserable. Not really committed to God, but not really committed to the world either. They've got just enough to, to, to try to hold on to Christ, but just enough that they want to hold on to the world. And they're being stretched so far in both ways that it hurts. The peace that comes through commitment. What about the world that comes through evangelism? You know, we can talk about evangelism. We can read about it. All of us know what's said in Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. We can pretty much quote that verse, the ones that are found in the book of Matthew, and even, even from Luke and John and Acts, where the Great Commission is, is actually mentioned in those passages as well. But how often do we wait for, for the world to come knocking on our door rather than us knocking on theirs? The salvation, or, or rather the... Uh, the world that comes through evangelism. What did the church in the New Testament do, the first century church? Those who were scattered abroad went about preaching the word. Acts chapter 8, verse number 4. It's not just that we save the souls of the people around us. But folks, we want us to understand that when we, when we win a soul to Christ, there's a, a satisfaction and, and a blessing that we receive ourselves. How do I know that? Well, because I read in the Bible. Look at it, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. The great apostle Paul asked this question. He said, What is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming? You know, what's really, Paul says, what's really going to be the blessing that we receive when our Lord comes back? The apostle Paul, you know, uh, he dedicated his life to preaching the gospel and and man, he went through a lot to do that, didn't he? I don't have to tell you all of that. You know it tonight. He wants to know what's our joy and crown of rejoicing when our Lord comes back. And then he answers the question. What's the answer? Is it not you? Verse 20, For you are our glory and joy. When the Lord comes back, 
the evangelistic work, the souls that Paul had won, Paul says that's what heaven's going to be all about. That's what's going to make it worth it all. The people I've been able to take with me, not just to get there myself, but the people that I take with me. Sometimes I think we preach on evangelism from the standpoint, hey folks, if we don't do it, we're, we're not doing what God wants us to do, and, and man, we're just bad people. And don't misunderstand me, we, we are commanded to be evangelistic, to carry out the gospel message into the world. But I think we misunderstand that it's not the punishment that awaits us that we have to so much worry about because we're not evangelistic, but it's the unpossessed possession of joy that we have in winning the world or winning people to Christ. I could talk tonight about folks who have gone on door-knocking campaigns and they, they see somebody who, who comes to the, to the service after they've knocked on their door or who, who accepts a Bible study or they hear about you know, folks who have obeyed the gospel after the Bible's been studied with them because they knocked on their door. Man, they get on fire. One day when they stand before the Lord and, and they both hear, well done, the person who knocked on the door and the person whose door was knocked on, they both hear, well done. Can you imagine the embrace? Because in eternity, they'll both live together with God. That's a lot of what evangelism is about. The world that comes through that work. What about the salvation that comes through obedience. Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23. These passages are all familiar to us tonight. They ought to because we, we own these passages. But Matthew 7, 21 through 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. On that day, there are going to be folks who are saying this, Lord, Lord, didn't they prophesy in your name? Cast out demons in your name? Do many mighty works in your name? You know the rest of it. The Lord will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Consider that list of things that they said that they did. The Lord said you needed to obey me. And they said, Lord, didn't we do all these things? What I want you to notice first tonight is this. The Lord did not deny that they had done those things. Prophesy, cast out demons and all those in his name. He never denies that. What we read here in Matthew chapter 7. Never denied it. And so that set me to thinking. What are you talking about? And I began to think about what is said in the book of Acts, or rather 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Beginning at verse number 1, Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels and have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers, reading again from the English Standard Version, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, 
And if I have all faith so that I could tell a mountain, get up and move, and it would do it, he just says it so as to remove mountains, and have not love, I'm nothing. And if I give away all that I have, and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Now compare those things with what Jesus spoke about back in Matthew chapter 7. Did we not cast out demons in your name? Speaks about the mighty works. Faith so as to remove mountains, there was an occasion when folks came to Jesus and they said, why couldn't we cast out those certain demons? They thought they had a faith problem. Prophesying, all of those things, they did that. But they still didn't obey God. You know, a lot of times when we're looking at Matthew chapter 7, we say, well, they taught the wrong thing. That's possible. But it's also possible to have the wrong attitude. And that, when you compare Matthew 7 with 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that's what we may find. The love that we are to have in our hearts for the world. Not for the worldliness of the world, but for the people of the world. For our brothers and sisters in Christ, for our family, for our God. If we don't have that, even though we've got every word of doctrine correct, we have still not obeyed God. Period. I don't want to stand before the Lord and hear Him say, I never knew you because my heart's not right. What a tragedy that would be never to possess the salvation that comes along with obedience to my God. I may have been baptized, held under so long to wash away my sins till I blubbered. But if my life hasn't changed, if my heart's not in the place that it's supposed to be, I've got a problem. And I still haven't obeyed God. On and on and on we could go tonight. Those are five things that I jotted down that sometimes we as Christians, possessions that we ought to have that really and truly we don't take possession of as we should. You know, we would condemn the folks in the, in the Bible. We'd say, what was wrong with you? You know, you should have gone on up and taken the land that, that was yours. And we wonder why. It was subdued before them, but they didn't possess the possessions that God had given them. Are we, they truly any different? than us. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's invitation is open to you tonight. Maybe you're here and your life's not the way that it should be. You've been away from the Lord. 
You've quit worshiping Him. You've quit doing the things that you know that you need to do. And you want to come back to Him. The Lord's invitation is open to you as well. Right now, as together we stand and as we sing. And close thine eyes against the light. For sinner, harden not thy heart. Be saved, O oh, tonight. Oh, why not tonight? Not tonight. Oh, why Unite. Believe, obey, the work is done. Be saved, oh, tonight. Oh, why not tonight? Oh, why not tonight? Will to Mark for two wonderful lessons today. We appreciate him so very much and the efforts that he puts into bringing our lessons to us. If you're present this evening and you have not had the opportunity of partaking of the Lord's Supper and giving, we ask that you exit this time to the back of the building and down the hall. There will be someone there to assist you. Randy? So I'll remember Bruce in our prayers as well. Uh, tonight has been mentioned as our holiday party, and we hope that all that will, uh, please stay for that. We'll ask uh, Brother Mike to say the blessing for the food for that appropriate time. Do we have any other announcements that need to be made? We hope to see you uh, Wednesday evening, not at 6.30 for our Wednesday night Bible study. God sent His Son, they call Him Jesus, He came to love, heal and forgive, He lived and died, to buy my pardon, an empty grave is there to prove my Savior lived, because He Just 
because he lives. Please bow and pray with me. Holy Father, we're so thankful that we've been able to come to you today and worship you. We pray, Father, that our worship this day has been according to your will and accepted in your sight. Father, we're so thankful for the, our church. We're thankful, Father, that you sent your son and he willingly died on the cross for our sins and the sins of this world. Father, we're thankful for our eldership. We pray that you will be with them, give them good health, knowledge, strength, especially here at Midway as they labor and they're going through Romania. Father, we pray that that mission field will stay strong and the one that's coming up in the future that we'll be able to do everything we can to support that one as well. We pray, Father, for those who have been mentioned, those who are sick among our members. We pray for Brother Billy as he's about to face surgery in a couple of weeks, that you'll be with him, that things will work out to your will, and he will be restored fully to his health. And we pray for Brother Bruce Blanton as he's about to have surgery, that things will go well with him, and you'll be with the doctors as they administer to him and do 